The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine episode, Indiscretion. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Father Cory Stiga. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can find us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and we'd love to hear from you, your comments, wherever you find us. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media. I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Middle-Earth. That's right. It's a returning show that right now we're discussing the new Amazon series, Rings of Power. And so you definitely need to check that out. That's uh, wherever you find fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth. But this time we're talking about uh, the Deep Space Nine episode, Indiscretion. And uh, so, Father Corey, can you give us a recap of what happens? Be glad to. Major Kira Norris is contacted by an old associate from the Bajoran Resistance days. He claims to have evidence of the Cardassian freighter Ravenok. A friend of Kira's, Lort Akram, was on the ship when it disappeared. She agrees to meet the associate, but before she can leave the station, a Cardassian asks to join her, Guldakot. Dakot claims it's due to the ship being under his command when it was lost, but later it turns out to be personal for him, him as well. He reveals that he had a Bajoran mistress and a half-Bajoran daughter on the ship and wants to see if they survived. Kira becomes sympathetic towards Dukat until he much later reveals he needs to kill his daughter, Torzial, to protect his reputation. The two do find the crashed ship with the survivors as slaves in a Breen mining camp. Dukat's mistress and Kira's friend both died along with a number of other passengers on the ship, but Zial survived. After Dukat and Kira free the slaves, Dukat is convinced not to kill Zial, but to take her back to Cardassia with him, despite the consequences to his reputation. Meanwhile, as all this is going on, the relationship between Ben Sisko and Cassidy Yates is getting more serious than Ben wants to admit. After receiving relationship advice from pretty much everyone on the station, Ben admits to Cassidy that he does want her to move on to the station. The end. Everybody except the actual married guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, nobody who else is married. No uh, Brian. No Brian no giving Brian. advice. Right. Um, so, j just as a to set it in time, this is a fourth season episode of, of mm -hmm. uh, Deep Space Nine, so in the middle. Um, fifth episode, we've already had the Klingon attack on Cardassia, that, that whole stuff like that, the, the way the warrior mm -hmm. Worf has joined the, the crew. Uh, just to kind of, re as a refresher on where we are in Deep Space Nine. And one of the background issues, things that, that come up, because this is a Cardassian episode, really, um, is in the behind-the-scenes information like that's on uh, on Memory Alpha and other places, the developments in Cardassia at this point are modeled on the fall of communism in the Soviet Union. This is So mm. this came out in 95, so it's just pretty fresh in everybody's mind. Uh, so you have a military-sanctioned government replaced by a civilian government, but in this case, we're going to see the military government come back. We're, yep. Well, 
kind of 20 years 30 years later it kind of has in this russia too but never mind uh yeah <laughs> so you had the obsidian order which was you know kind of the backbone of the old totalitarian government and mm-hmm. but once they were overthrown in the die is cast episode um the dissidents were able to take control you know from the military controlled government and so now you have a civilian controlled government so that's kind of a little bit of a background on this yeah the the Obsidian Story. Order was kind of like the KGB meets the Russian military, the Soviet military. Yeah, they were like a KGB that had a military arm, really. Yeah, um, they had their own you know warships and stuff like that. Uh, they they went to attack the Dominion and <laughs> didn't mm-hmm. come back. Yep, uh, exactly. Another interesting thing is uh, the the revelation that this story is kind of based on the John Wayne movie, The Searchers, mm, interesting. which is a similar idea, which you know involved. A man looking for, in this case, uh, his daughter who had been, uh, in, in wife, had been taken by, uh, 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 it's been a long like time Russell since I watched or something like that, or, or uh, Native Americans, I forget now, uh, yeah, I haven't, exactly. this, that's one I haven't seen of his, so. Uh, yeah, it, uh, fictional events, Night History West, uh, blah, 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 it doesn't say, okay, I was, look, I was looking for a, a plot summary, but, uh. Um, quickly pulling it up, and it's a John Ford movie, so it's a really great uh, western. Oh yeah, that, that would be um, one of the good ones. It's uh, you know, Library of Congress culturally significant films, and it's set during the Texas Native American Wars. John Wayne's a middle class Civil War middle middle class middle aged Civil War veteran who spends years looking for his abducted niece. That's what it was, accompanied by his adopted nephew Martin, played by Star Trek's Jeffrey Hunter, the original Captain Pike. Yeah. A great movie definitely you know if you <laughs> check it out if you like westerns well, well, at all pretty much everything john wayne was in was is worth watching but yeah yeah um so that said uh what if i one of the interesting things i find about this story is ducat the evolution mm-hmm. of gull ducat who is evolving you know like when we started the series he was just pure villain he was the overlord of uh actually this kind of uh, has echoes to yeah. something we were just discussing for a different show, The Secrets of Doctor Who, uh, which, yeah. which had an overlord in uh, uh, oppressed people. But he was the overlord, o- you know, overseeing the occupation of Bajor and just was out and out v- bad guy villain. Um, I mean, if, if but, he had a mustache, he'd be the one twirling the edge of it, you know, yeah. cackling. And, and I gotta say, you know, Marco Lemo does a great job. Ducat is a great villain, like throughout the oh, series. Yeah. Um, but he's evolving from pure villain to something. More ambiguous. He's still a bad. He's still the bad guy. He's still one of the main antagonists, but he's something more. He's getting layers, shall we say? Yeah. At this point, he actually starts becoming more of a sympathetic character. He becomes more of a character that we start to like, even if he is still kind of a a villain. You know, you can't really call him the 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 total antagonist by this point, but he's definitely a uh, you know again he's he's kind of a Shows up once in a while and causes trouble, and but <laughs> he's an agent of he chaos. Become, he becomes more sympathetic, yeah, yeah. Until eventually, he goes off the deep end, and yeah. right, <laughs> which related to events in this episode. And it's interesting because, like, Kai Win never becomes a sympathetic character for me. Like, I no. never, I, 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 in fact, actively dislike the episodes that she's in. I mean, not, yeah, not. I just, I hate whenever she shows up because I just dislike her so much. She's just so. Oh, yeah. uh, it drives me like crazy 
Whereas oh, Ducat, my dear child, ugh, just the the she's like, what's that lady, uh, Dor- Dolores Umbridge, Uxbridge, Umbridge, yes. whatever it is in Harry Potter? Like she's like that, like oh, ooh, just. Whereas Ducat can be fun and funny and just like uh, you know a bad guy, but it's kind of interesting. The other interesting about this episode is this is where the relationship between Kira and Ducat begin to evolve. Like they'll never mm-hmm. re- really be friends, you know. That's right. just clearly, um, and. But this is also where you start to think that Ducat's starting to get his romantic ideas about Kira. Yeah. Yeah. And like, she's like, would never, never, like, this would never, she would cut off her arm before she had any romantic idea about him. But there's a softening toward him, a humanization, so to speak, Mm. of of him. There's definitely a respect that that starts to develop here, you know, even if. You know, she still remembers everything he did. And, you know, of course, I like that. They brought that up with the uh, Razga Karn, the, the, the associate that she, they meet up with, where it's like, oh, I could turn you in with to the Maquis. And, and, he, and the, the cost's like, yeah, I could turn you into the Cardassians. <laughs> right, know. right, right. Yeah, Let's yeah. set all that aside, shall we? <laughs> yes, let's pretend. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's also, like, later on, and we'll talk in specifics, but there's this idea of, you know, it's easy to be enemies with someone that is just this figure. Like, you mm-hmm. you know, you, you may know, you know, even talk to them, it's met them in person. But when you spend time with a person, you eat a meal with a person, you go through experiences with a person, you may not become friends. But there's right. a shared experience that causes, that, that gives you, I don't know, a common ground right. that you can approach each other on. Uh, and I think that's subtly done in this episode. I mean, there's that whole yes. part later where they have a that funny laughing thing, which we'll talk about. But oh, that was a great scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like, like I said, I, I really think it's she started to see him with respect. He was no longer the villain. He was no longer the the devil. You know, the pointy horned devil. Right. Like they they do remind us from time to time in this episode, even of who Ducat is and what he's done. Like there's mm-hmm. no forgetting that. But he's also a person. And yep. people are complex, and even you know, as they they say, even Hitler loved his dog. You know, I mean, like that doesn't make him a good person. But people are complex. <laughs> Bad right. people, evil people can still do good things in you know individual good things, and still have good impulses. Partly because of that's that's the image and likeness of God that's built into us at our very core. That's. Exactly. You know, that connection to the eternal, to God, still shining through, even in the worst person. Well, and you can you, you kind of see Dukat, too, of, like, he was doing the job he was there to do, you know, and whether he liked it or not, whether he thought it was a great thing or not, he was doing what he was, he was following orders, and right. he was going to do it to the best of his ability, regardless of what that did to the Bajoran people. Yes, Right, right. He saw that as a good, and of course, you know, objectively speaking, you should never obey an evil dictum or follow an illegal order or however mm-hmm. you want to put exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, but you know, that said, yeah, he he thought he thought what he was doing was good, and that even comes up. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, how he's kind of looks at it as well. We helped the Bajorans. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, but you mentioned that he does find worm his way into this mission to find the mystery missing ship, the Ravenock. Actually, let, let's skip ahead to that part where they're on board the runabout uh, mm-hmm. because uh, there's he talks about the, like uh, Kira talks about being part of the Shakar resistance cell. 
Mm-hmm. And he, Ducat talks about it like, uh, oh, yes, that old Shakar resistance cell. You were such a challenge that we couldn't overcome. And, and it's kind of like, uh, dark or chilling because mm-hmm. the challenge was he was trying to hunt Kira and kill her and her friends. Like, yeah, it wasn't a game. This was life and death. And, and it's just, he treats it so kind of clinically it's it's very chilling when he does that well it's well it's interesting too because it isn't wasn't there another episode where he kind of basically mocks her saying oh you you're a little resistance cell it was nothing yeah yeah i think it was early on that he kind of did that it's like oh yeah you're, you're low resistance cell ah, you're just fleas we just let you be right you know? right well and you, you could and you, it turns out yeah no it, he was that's him just trying to uh to to to, to diss her you know that, that no they were really they were accomplishing something um, and this is when he says he admires Kira, that how she embodies the new Bajor, and he says, uh, the occupation helped the Bajorans by making them stronger. And this is the, the quote, when we arrived, you were a weak contemplative race. Mm. I like that. Uh, yep. Contemplative is bad. Choking on your isolation. And now you have a new confidence, a whole new sense of purpose, not to mention a key role in the future of this entire quadrant. And what that made me think of is, is like the abusive husband who says, oh, when I married you, you were just, you know, weak and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, now you're strong. Look at you. You, 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 you're strong and confident. And yeah, I had to become strong and confident to throw you out, you jerk. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's like, uh, I hate to say it, but it'd be like Germany saying, well, you know, if it wasn't for us during the two, two world wars, Europe would have never been united as it is now in the European <laughs> Union. Right, right. France, you should be grateful that we uh, made you stronger and gave you a backbone. Uh, no. <laughs> or, or the Soviet Union to, to Poland. You know, Poland, you were just you were just this weak country that kept getting fought over, and we gave you strength. Right. Well, I mean, it kind of sounds, to bring a little contemporary politics into it, Russia yeah. talking to Ukraine today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, although, Dukat says one thing in this conversation that is true. He's... It, Bajor and Cardassia will one day become friends. They do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, Discovery in season four kind of shows that they actually become united. Uh, the, yep. the, um, the, the uh, president of the, the Federation is human Cardassian and Bajoran. Right, right. She's, yes, which is kind of an interesting combination. Uh, so it, it's funny how he kind of sees it, although I'm not sure he's what he intended was the same thing that eventually happens, but uh, Kira (laughs) recoils at that idea, uh, understandably. Um, Meanwhile, uh, I kind of want to go back and forth with the, the B plot with Cassidy and Cisco, because uh, it's it's interesting. And that's the way it kind of happened in the, in the the show. Yep. But um, back and forth. Yeah. So Cisco is, you know, things are going well with Cassidy Yates, you know, their, 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 their uh, relationship. Um, but it turns out, oh, look, she's going to get a job, you know, here in town. Like, it's great while she's the girlfriend who comes and goes and isn't mm-hmm. around all the time. Uh, we're not taking it seriously. Um, but uh, now she's going to get a, a job locally and she's going to move it, move in next door. You know, the, that, the essential equivalent. Oh, yeah. There's a moment when Dax says, oh, like, where are you going to live? Oh, I'm going to live on my ship. Oh, you should get quarters on the station. I'm sure Benjamin would help you. And Cisco yeah. gives this look to that Dax. That yeah, boil milk. I mean, it was that's, man. He was mad. Yeah, that, that's that's one of those where if looks could kill, Dax would be looking for another symbiote, or another <laughs> yeah. host. 
Yes. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, my, she's like, she almost wants to like, uh, you know, swipe her hands and say, my, my work here is done. Uh, you know, I threw the yep. grenade in the relationship and left. Like, what are you doing, Dax? Uh, so yep. it, it was kind of funny. That, well, that whole, that whole part, that whole plot, because then later on, you know, of course, later on, Ben's talking with her. And, and by the way, I should mention Cassie Yates played by Penny Johnson. That's right. Uh, who, of course, more recently is on the Orville as the doctor. Does yep. an amazing job in that. Yep. Um, but they're talking, it's like, uh, she's talking about this. Yeah. Maybe I should get a, a, a place here on the station. He's like, well, that's a big step. Yes. What do you uh, mean yeah, by that? That's a very big step. And of course she blows up. <laughs> right. Right. She takes, she says she takes the job. He's not very enthusiastic about it. Oh, that's nice. And then, yeah. When she says, uh, that she's, you know, it's a big step. It's a very big step. And then he has to end up going to, uh, he, we, we have a, a later scene where he's at Quark's and he's talking to yep. Dax and Bashir and, uh, uh, and Quark worms his way in with, with some terrible advice. But he's like, it's a, he says, did, you didn't say it's a big step, did you? I did. I think I might have actually said it's a very big step. Oh, a very big yeah, step. Yeah, no, those is, did, you didn't follow it up with a very big step, did you? I don't remember, but I think I might have. And, <laughs> and of course, after he leaves, they go, what do you think? Oh, it's a big step. A, a very, very big, big step. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that, yeah, that was really good. That was um, such a great scene. <laughs> that was a very good scene. And of course, of course, Quark has like terrible advice about, you know, basically Ferengi treat their women terribly and that's like what you should do uh which is yeah. no no um so back on the uh, planet the that they eventually come upon the craft ship they they have tracked the ship back to this other planet where they where it wasn't expected to be they found uh the crash ship and they found these these buried bodies um mm-hmm. a, a handful of the crew and passengers and so Ducat like oh i need to dig up the bodies and identify them clearly he's lying clearly he wants to see if his mistress is among the dead um yep. and doesn't want kira to see but he makes up this story about uh cardassian beliefs versus bajoran beliefs about the body after death and he says bajorans are much more concerned with the souls of the dead than they are with the physical remains how did kira maressa put it what remains after death is just a shell a sign that the pa has begun its final journey to the prophets and uh, I kind of want to stop and kind of talk about that a little bit because yeah. it is, it's an interesting belief which looks at the human body as a shell. And a lot of, a lot of human beings, a lot of Christians mm-hmm. actually kind of approach the body and death the same way that we're really a soul yeah. encased in a body. But that's not really Christian belief, right? No, no. That, that's much more close, closer to like Buddhism. Hinduism, I believe, is very similar. Um, where the body is just the the meat robot that we use to move our shell our, our souls around when we're right. alive, and so they, we don't respect the, you know we aren't we don't need to respect the body after it's dead because you know it, it's no longer there. As Christians, we believe very differently. You know that when we are alive, we are we are we're created by God to be united body and soul. That mm-hmm. the two are in union when we're alive, and death is the breaking of that union, body and soul. Um, and the, the soul does leave the body, but ultimately we were destined and will be destined to spend eternity body and soul that our bodies will be resurrected. And that's why we, as Christians, we respect the body enough that we have places called cemeteries where we bury the, our loved ones. We buried those who have died, um, you know, whether cremated or not, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother argument for a whole nother time. <laughs> 
but we bury the bodies and we, these are places of honor, places where we respect those who have died. Some cultures go, you know, you hear like the day of the dead, which, you know, sounds, oh, that sounds depressing. No, it's like in the Philippines, they go and have like picnics at the cemetery in their family plots. Right. Right. To celebrate their families who, their family members who have gone before them. I think some places in Latin America do the same. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's a beautiful culture that recognizes that this body that is there that is probably, depending on how long the person's been there, is probably rotted away to nothing but bones and dust, but it is still the earthly remnants of someone we've loved and will one day be resurrected, re- recreated, and will be reunited body and soul in eternity. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the important point too. Is like we are like we are as much the flesh that we can touch as we are the soul that we mm-hmm. feel in our intellect and all that other stuff. Um, that's that's us. That's all of us. Yeah, and that there are there are Christian heresies such as Gnosticism that have fallen into that trap, and that's mm-hmm. part of the reason why there were heresies where. Oh, it was, you know, God's soul in a human body and Jesus was really just human but adopted and things like that where they didn't right. understand the connection in our Lord between his human nature and his divine nature. Right. Like in Manichaeism, like says all, all material uh, things are evil and only the spiritual is good. And yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of been at the heart of so many heresies, Christian heresies, is this division dividing the body and soul and looking at the, the body as somehow not us in, in that in that sense so i thought that was an interesting to bring up and that's one of the things i like about deep space nine is it it kind of every once in a while it swoops in on these religious spiritual levels and you right. get a chance to kind of think about this sort of thing and that's one of the great things about science fiction well, and- is it can let you do that without having all the right. regular religion you know the baggage of having to talk about real religions exactly and, and assuming ducat wasn't lying he was just using it to his advantage yeah. the cardassians almost have the opposite view where it's right. the body is the more important part than the soul it's, it's a very uh materialistic view you know that the material matters more than the soul that's in it so that was that's kind of an interesting insight into cardassians mm-hmm. again assuming it wasn't you know something that he made up for the excuse to get kira Norris to go play on the computer while he's <laughs> digging up the body of his his mistress right. it would track with cardassian's attitudes about strength and um you know the the, the power is is important and you know strength of the body and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff so uh yeah that would track with that that sort of belief uh but it turns out that his real reason for coming like we said is his uh, bajoran mistress who was on the ship and it, he finds that she's dead but that her daughter is yep. uh, their daughter is probably still alive yeah she'd be I think 19. She was like 13 at the time it of the was, crash. It's yeah. been six years. So she's like 19. Um, and uh, it's kind of interesting how he talks about the fact that he really did love the mistress, that mm-hmm. even though he has a wife and seven kids back on Cardassia, who we, by the way, never see in the series. No, like, we don't they're, see they're, kids. We don't see her. But it was, it was interesting because the, the mistress and daughter were on this ship, which was a prisoner transport. Because they were going to meet another freighter that was then going to take them to a, a planet where they would be safe from the from the occupation ending on Bajor, because he knew or fi- he figured anyways right. that the mistress and the daughter would be at risk when Bajor takes back over from the Cardassians. Yeah, collaborators are never treated yep. very well at the end. Collaborators of the and and then you know half half breed to use the term that they would 
yeah that kind of the slur that would be used right right so yeah that she and and kira recognizes it and she tells to cut like don't you dare you know uh hurt this child you know let me take her back to Bajor. she'll be fine and he kind of goes well what kind of life would she have there well a life <laughs> Which yeah, is, it's kind of like the 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 pro life argument, you know, where people say, "Oh, what kind of life could that this baby lead?" Uh, you know, in this unwelcome being unwelcome in this home, it's like, well, it's at least a life. It's not, yeah, you know, it can leave a, leave a life if it's not killed, right? It's better than dead. Uh, so yeah, that, it's it's interesting that it, so, but she does propose it. It's kind of like Mother Teresa saying, "You, know, if, if you don't want your child, give it give it to me. I'll find mm-hmm. a loving home for for them." Oh yeah. You know? Um. So. Uh, I mentioned before the, the shared experience and the laughing thing. So the uh, Ducat and Kira are camping out, and Ducat ends up sitting down on a sand spine. I guess it's called. It looks like a like a sharp crystal. And man, that was yeah. long and sharp. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he got it right in the rear end. Oh my and gosh! It was absolutely. It was a, a hilarious scene. Of course, uh, Kira's over there laughing before she can even pull it out. Yeah, yeah. And then she gives him the dermal regenerator, and he's like bent over, running it over his backside, and she's laughing at him, and he's like, this isn't funny! And then he eventually starts laughing, and then he's like, you know what's even funnier? It's not working! <laughs> she's like, you have to turn it on! <laughs> yeah, you forgot to hit the on switch! <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, it's like that that humanizing effect of you know, spending time with a person, sharing a meal, laughing over a shared experience, you know, that yeah. that sort of thing. I, I think, again, well-written. I, I really think that this this uh, episode really threads the needle on humanizing Dukat while also ki- reminding us of who he is yeah. and what he's done. Uh, and so I really like that aspect of it. Well, and he, he keeps so much of his pompous arrogance through a lot of it. Oh, and of course, yeah. this scene is the difference of that. But he still has that that Cardassian arrogance. And yeah. but yet we get to see him as, again, somebody sympathetic, somebody that it's, no, he had, he truly did love his mistress, even if, you know, again, the whole issue of having a mistress in the first place when he was yeah. married with kids, but that's another story. Right. Yeah, there is a there's a vulnerability to to Dukat in this episode, and that happens several times over the course of the series where he has mm-hmm. to be vulnerable. And uh, you know, our, our heroes, whether it's Cisco or Kira or whoever, has to you know take that time to show him uh, a helping hand and be in you know in a, in a way a loving gesture yeah. to, toward them, compassionate, truly showing compassion. compassion. Yeah, exactly. Back on DS9, we have a nice scene where Jake tells, basically tells his dad that you're acting out of fear with regard to Cassidy. Um, mm-hmm. Your fear that if the relationship doesn't work out, you'll feel responsible for it, it not working out. Uh, and it's like, here's Jake kind of growing up, being yep. being a little bit of an adult who can tell his dad what for. And it's it's nice to see Jake continuing to, to grow and mature in these ways. He's not the kid oh, yeah. who's getting in trouble with Nog on the promenade like we saw well, in the first have mention of nog but he's not we don't see him that's right yeah he's not he's talking to nog about his dad's relationship problems <laughs> <laughs> everybody's talking about it uh so then this is about when we discovered that the uh, survivors of the crash are basically slaves in a breen dilithium mine uh, mm-hmm. okay this is where i want to talk about the breen why do the Breen look like the bounty hunter Boosh from Star Wars Return of the Jedi? 
I have always wondered that. Yes. I mean, there's differences, but yeah. It's the same basic mask. It is. I mean, it really is. And, you know, they... You, when you hear the brain speak, it doesn't translate, as I recall. No, and but it also you don't, in this episode, in this episode, yeah. you don't hear him speak at all. But in other in TNG, especially, you know, they they don't translate it, so it's like mechanical the bounty speaking. hunter, right? Which is like that bounty hunter. Like no one's ever adequately explained it. I was even googling like why, and of course, people coming up with, well, there's this interdimensional wormhole between world. Like no, no, really, like behind the scenes, why? And so no one's ever. I wonder if they got the suit for cheap. <laughs> Maybe. It, I'd laugh if it ended up being like the, the original Breen suit was like a, a Star Wars, actual Star Wars prop. Yeah. I, maybe. I mean, or whoever the, the costume guy was really loved that character or something or mm-hmm. made it or was the guy who invented that character. I don't know. But yeah, it's just kind of wild. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I was always wondering that too. If, if anybody knows, you know, if, if there's any books or something like that that talk about, it, I would love to hear. Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm with you, Dom. It, it, it's always kind of questioned that. So there was a series of novels, Star Trek novels, the uh, Typhon Pact novels, which mm-hmm. talked about the uh, this allegiance, the sort of Warsaw Pact of the future between the Rhymans, the Breen, the Gorn, and the Zinti, I think it is, uh, where, uh, you know, against the Federation and the Klingons. Uh, but it talked to, you, we got a lot more insight into who the Breen are, and they're actually a multi species race. Hmm. That they all wear this same uniform. They have this cultural thing about we're all exactly the same. So they all wear the same outfit all the time. Almost kind of like the Mandalorians. They never take their helmets off. Yeah. And so it has one of the species that make up the Breen has a snout. So they all have all the helmets have a snout thing on it. Interesting. Uh, I thought it was kind of a, a clever well, uh, invention. Anyway. Yeah. And they did say in this that the, the Breen homeworld is frozen. You know, that yes. it's a frozen planet. Right, so that explains right. why they they've got the suit that perhaps they need it for cooling too. I mean, right or heating, but yeah, but yeah, uh, depending. Yeah, if the if the cooling, yeah, they, cooling on the desert planet, right, 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 right. Yeah, because if they evolved in a cold environment, right. Um. So they find Zial, and when Zial tells Ducat, basically he's you know he's about to shoot her, and she and she realizes he's not there to rescue her. He's there to save his reputation. Basically, he needs mm-hmm. to. You know, kill the half Cardassian, half Bajoran child, so that his reputation and thus his power standing in Cardassian politics does isn't damaged. You know, she basically says, "Okay, well, if I can't be with you, if you, if you, if you, I can't come home with you as my father, I'd rather die." He can't go through with it. Yep. T- to his credit, <laughs> I mean, not to his credit that he was going to do it in the first place, but at least to his credit, he couldn't do it. The irony for me here is that. It's going to be her eventual death at his hands, mm-hmm. accidentally, yep. that will drive him mad and be his undoing. Yeah. So it's he, kind he of... Definitely, he definitely takes her as his daughter. I mean, that, that this is, you know, she becomes very important to him as we see her later yeah. in later seasons, um, <laughs> including her becoming in a relationship with, uh, uh, oh, darn Bashir? it. Uh, no, the, no. the Taylor. Garrick. Why did I, Garrick. Garrick, that's right. Yeah. And, of course, that drives him nuts that his enemy, <laughs> Garrick, has a right. relationship with his daughter. Right, um, right. <laughs> but it, it becomes, he becomes, a, or she becomes a very important part of his life. And like you said, it was, he was already starting to tip over the edge. He was already starting to kind of lose it a little bit. And it was that was the last straw yeah. that broke him. 
but but Ziala is becomes that element in the stories over over time where like Kirik like likes Zial. She's a good person. Zial is a, is obviously a good person. Mm-hmm. How could she love this monster of Dukat? And it becomes this naughty problem that Kira has to kind of how do you explain how do you explain love you know that's right. the thing is how do you explain how could you love him he's this thing and she's like well that's not all he is and and it becomes this interesting social problem that just this emotional relational problem that Kira struggles with and we as the audience struggle with with her exactly and we yeah. get to again we get to see him in I keep using the phrase but in a more sympathetic way through her yep. eyes through the yeah. eyes of the daughter of yep. the all uh, so in the end, Dukat says he's going to take Zial back to Cardassia after all. Um, and, which stuns, uh, which you, you see in Kira's face, stuns yeah. her that he's actually changed and has accepted her. Right, right. Now, eventually, he's going to bring her back to Bajor because it, it turns out she's more accepted on Bajor than she will be on Cardassia. Uh, yep. And that beca- it's a problem. But uh, but this step here is actually still surprising. Uh, meanwhile, Cisco. Uh, has apologized to Cassidy and uh, admits that his reaction was him still feeling the effects of Jennifer's death and, mm-hmm. you know, the the fear over basically him getting too close to her and then having her die the same way, too, since they're out here on the edge of space and all bad things are always happening because you're in Starfleet. <laughs> bad things yeah. happen. Um, I like how Cassidy ends it. Like, she she's going to forgive him. She's not quite there yet. She doesn't let him give him a, give her a kiss. You know, yep. she kind of walks away. Uh, and uh, credit to her for that. She's not going to let kind him. Of, kind of compl- flirts with him a little bit on it, but yeah, yeah. It's like, You're not there yet, buddy boy. Yeah, he's not <laughs> off the hook. With you, you're still going to get your way back. But uh, you're, so you're still that, sleeping on the couch tonight. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. If they're married, that would be the couch. Uh, so. That, and that's where we we wrap things up. Um, so, any other notes uh, on this episode? Um, Roz Kakarn, the the uh, associate that Kira meets, was played by Roy Brocksmith, mm-hmm. who was the Zach Dorn strategist on the TNG episode Peak Performance. Oh, right, right, right. That's where I saw him before. That's what yeah. he's probably best known for in TNG or in Star Trek is yeah. for that role. Yeah, he's another one of those guys who has showed up at a lot of guest appearances in a lot of different tv shows so yeah he he yeah, died in 2001 he, so yeah he died not long after this yeah surprisingly yeah. he was pretty young 56 that's young by the way <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it i'm not there yet <laughs> i'm not far from that so it is young so let's just put it that way rest in peace um Okay, uh, if that's it, we could wrap things up there. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Regina C., Brian B., John N., Tony L., and Joe E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Deep Space Nine episode, Indiscretion? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. 
And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, Jetrell. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, only a Cardassian would call this hellhole invigorating. <laughs> Or I could have said, who knows more about women than me? (laughs) Quark's line.